Amen. You may be seated and good morning. Hope that uh, you've been able to dodge the, the raindrops as you came in. For those of you who have not met, my name's Steve. It's my privilege to be the pastor here. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, as we started this new year, uh, realized that our 930 and 11 services are, are obviously our most full. And if you're one of those ones who likes a little elbow room, uh, first of all, I'll remind you the front row is always there, right? That, there you go. Uh, but secondly, our 5 o'clock on Saturday night is probably the one where we have the most room and uh, would, uh, you know, especially as we're heading into some of the construction things and parking and uh, it just, it really is that place and time. So I want to make sure that you're aware of that. So we're starting this little series uh, this morning called What in the World is Next? You'll notice uh, we're going to be focused on Matthew 24. So if you got your Bibles or you have the Bible app on your phone or iPad, if you'll turn there, we're going to get there in a moment. But what in the world is, is next? Now, obviously, we're, we're living in a crazy time. Um, we've, you know, what's going on over in the Ukraine? What's going on with China, with Taiwan, and uh, North Korea, you know, just announced they're going to start making more uh, nuclear warheads. Uh, Syria, Lebanon, uh, Brazil. I, I was looking at a map of some hot spots, and actually, I, I wasn't even aware of this, but there's almost a line right across the center of Africa, of nation after nation that's going through riots and issues and all of that. And, and uh, obviously we've had a pandemic and we've got inflation going through the roof and shortages and things that we have intuitively known and been taught for years is, is right is now being, we're told we're wrong and what was wrong and we're told was wrong is now being called right and you just kind of, it, it's, it's a crazy world. And uh, it was kind of funny this week, so uh, just so you, a lot of you around here know this, but Tuesday is my main study day. I don't often get it all done on Tuesday, but that's my main day uh, where I, I really work on the sermon. Well, this is one of those great weeks. By Tuesday night, I was done. What in the world is next? And I woke up Wednesday morning and got on Twitter and found out for the second time in history, all the flights have been grounded in America. And I go, that's not in my sermon. I, 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 I miss that on my bingo card of what's next, right? And, and obviously, um, our, our heart is this. The Bible is that one piece, right? So, have you ever seen, have you ever seen the uh, advertisements or maybe heard them on the radio? Where it often comes with uh, somebody who's like a, a broker and they want to invest. And at the end, they always say, past performance is not indicative of, of future results, right? Have you heard that, right? Have you ever thought about that? Like, well, if it's not indicative, what is, right? Who of us wants to go put all of our money with the stockbroker that every time he picks a stock, it tanks, 
right? Past performance is probably pretty indicative of future results. I don't want to go with that guy. I want somebody who's had some success. And the cool thing, and, and for me, the, the big piece of the Bible is the fact of when you look at prophecy that has been given through the thousands of years that the Bible has spoken and the accuracy, like I really wanted to kind of preach the whole sermon on that today. So, because the question is, well, Steve, how do you know what's next? Well, I don't, but the Bible does. And of course, it doesn't sometimes focus on the little pieces, but it's the big pieces, but, but the accuracy of the Word of God. And so, because of that, uh, I, you know, but I've only got three weeks, about 30, 35 minutes a week to, to talk about what's next. I don't have much time, so I'm just going to carve out 10 minutes of that today. But we're really going to get into it, into our next study in February. So for those of you that are new, we do, we, we, we do expository Bible preaching. That's what we do. We just finished up the book of Hebrews, about a year and a half there. In February, we're going to jump in our next book, which is the book of Revelation. The first part of it, chapters 1, 2, and 3, are Jesus now comes and communicates in chapter 1 with John. Chapters 2 and 3, he writes these letters to these churches. But the book of Revelation gives us even in more detail what is to come. So I would encourage you to come and be a part of that. But I did at least want to start today with how the accuracy, why we do know what's next, because of the fulfilled prophecy that you see in scripture and again i'm gonna to have to talk quick if you want to research this more I, I hopefully put enough up on the screen so that you guys can can go and uh, and figure that do more research on it but first of all you've got to look at the book of daniel the book of Daniel is some of the most exacting prophecies. Daniel literally foretold the next thousand years of human history when he wrote in about 550 B.C. We know when it was because Daniel had been taken in captivity into Babylon from, Jude, uh, from Judah, which the first, he probably went in 605 B.C., and it was while the Babylonians were in power. And, and in chapters 2 and chapter 7 primarily, he begins to outline the course of human history with such accuracy that it creates a problem. So he told us who was going to replace the Babylonians, which the Medes and Persians. And you think, okay, well, that's only 50, 70 years later. Maybe he got lucky on that. But who was going to replace the Medes and the Persians? It was going to be Greece. That was a couple hundred years down the line. Who was going to replace Greece? It was going to be Rome. In fact, the accuracy in chapter 8... He actually, in, in describing Greece and talks about the first leader who was going to come as this big horn that is broken off quickly after it gets dominance and it breaks into four parts. That's exactly what happened with Alexander the Great. He died at the very height of his power. His kingdom was divided between four. The accuracies were so specific that the critics of the Bible argued that Daniel was not written in 550, 560 B.C. It couldn't have been written by Daniel, right? That was their argument. Right up until we found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Have you ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? So the Dead Sea Scrolls 
there's a group that down in southern in Israel called the Essenes and all they did was copy scripture and they made copies of scripture and when remember when the Romans came uh, AD 70 conquered Jerusalem Masada and all that the Essenes didn't want all those things lost so they basically went out and hid them they were hid for 2,000 years and back in the uh, mid 1900s these scroll, scrolls were found they date back to about 250 BC and guess what's there Daniel so by 250 BC by the way before Rome comes on the scene not only is the book of Daniel there but it's being copied as scripture it was written exactly when Daniel told us was 550 BC in fact one of the cool pieces about the book of Daniel you get to chapter 9 and Daniel gives us this one prophecy that from the going forth to, of the command to rebuild Jerusalem to Messiah the Prince is 483 years. Well, we know, because Nehemiah tells us the exact day that Artaxerxes II gives him the command to go and rebuild Jerusalem. So, some guys much smarter than I have taken that prophecy, okay, well, well, what does that look like? So they begin to lay it down and they factor it in for leap years and this, that, and the other. And do you know that from that day that Artaxerxes gave that command until the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey, the triumphal entry is 483 years to the day. To the day. Yeah! So how do we know what's coming? The Bible tells us. The Bible's been accurate. Not only that, you look at all the prophecies concerning Jesus' first coming. There are over 330 prophecies that Jesus literally fulfilled in his coming. And of course, we're used to that, right? Oh, little town of Bethlehem, right? We, we, we know these things. But a mathematician once sat down and figured out what are the odds of somebody being able to predict hundreds of years. In fact, that, um, you know, some of the prophecies about Jesus go back 700, 750 years, 1,000 years actually from David before his birth. What is it like? What's the, the odds that somebody could predict these things? And so he put together this mathematical equation. What if somebody could predict out in the future, somebody they didn't know, Somebody that would be born and they could predict eight things about them and they all end up being accurate. Like, where will they be born? When will they be born? What do they do with their life? How do they die? You know, eight different random ideas and all eight come true. So he put together this formula. The number he came up with was 100 quadrillion to one. That all eight things of somebody you don't know, born in the future, you predict, and it all happens. 100 quadrillion to one. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems to even be worse odds than winning the lottery, right? In fact, to put that into, how do you get your arms around that? If you were to take the entire state of Texas fill it two feet deep with silver dollars you get a sharpie you put an axe on one of them 
you mix it in you give somebody a ride on a helicopter they got one shot to land at the right place reach down get the one with the x you got about one to 100 quadrillion and yet here's the thing we weren't told eight things about jesus hundreds of years before his birth 330 plus then let's get even one a little closer to home you got ezekiel prophesying again he prophesies about the same time of daniel so we're about 550 bc that israel in the last days would we be regathered as a nation so if you know the history of, of Israel, you know at this point they're in Babylon, they're in captivity. They actually, under Nehemiah, go back. They become a nation again up to the time of Christ. After Jesus died and is resurrected in AD 70, Titus the Roman emperor comes, conquers Jerusalem, scatters Israel. For 2,000 years now, they have not been a nation. Now, by the way, in the course of human history, there has never ever ever been a nation that has been spread out who has kept its national identity who then after 2,000 years comes back to their very same homeland and becomes a nation again it has never happened and yet 2,700 years ago Ezekiel said this would happen to Israel you all know what happened in 1948 don't you Israel became a nation again so, folk, the, the point is this. The Bible knows. You know why the Bible knows? Because God's the author, and God sees the end from the beginning, and he's told us what's next. And the next major event that is coming is the second coming of Jesus. All of human history is moving towards this event, this second coming of Christ that he's talking about here in Matthew 24. So let's read it together. Matthew 24, let's start with verse 3. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened. For these things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many. Because lawlessness increase is increased, most people's love will grow cold. So the next event, this is what Jesus is talking about. What are the signs of your coming? And basically what he said was, the world's going to go crazy. But the point I want you to understand is, Jesus prophesies that he's going to come back. In fact, this 
this whole discourse goes on into chapter 25 and it kind of summarizes here in verse 31 but when the son of man comes in his glory on all the angels with him then he will sit on his glorious throne jesus is coming back in the book of revelation his last words to us in the last chapter this is what he says behold i am coming quickly now, obviously, his definition of quickly may be a hair different than ours. We'll talk about that in another time. And he says, but my reward is with me. I'm coming quickly. Jesus prophesied. He is coming back. That is the next major event. Now, I know some of you are going, well, whoa, well, Steve, what about the rapture? What, what, what about that? And I'm thrilled that you asked, right? Because <laughs> there's others of you sitting there going, I don't even know what he means by rapture. Great. So here's the thing. There is an event that deals with Christians. It's called the rapture. It's the major event is Jesus coming back. It's tied to that. We're going to talk about it in two weeks because there's some discussion, some debate as to when that happens. So we're just going to take two weeks from today, that third Sunday in this, what in the world's next, we're going to talk about the rapture. We'll set that aside for right now. Because the big event, biblically, is really not the rapture. It is the second coming of Christ. Because this is what all of history, all of the Old Testament... So when you think of the prophecies of Jesus, of the coming of the Messiah in the Old Testament, Jesus didn't fulfill them all in his first coming. In fact, some of the times you look and the prophets didn't even understand because sometimes they prophesied of death and, and lowliness and, and you know, riding on a donkey. And other times it's, it's coming in great fury and power. Well, it's just like when you go to the mountains and you see the, the two mountaintops and they seem really close together until you get there and then you realize there are big valleys in between. It's a first coming and a second coming. Jesus is coming back. Not only did Jesus prophesy it, but the angels prophesied it. You remember, so Jesus here in Matthew 24, sitting on the, the Mount of Olives, they're overlooking the city of Jerusalem. In a couple days, Jesus is going to die on the cross. He's going to be put in a tomb. Three days later, he's going to raise from the dead. For 40 days, he's going to be appearing to his disciples. Then he takes them back up to that very same Mount of Olives. And you remember, he ascends into heaven. And while they're sitting there going, wow, I've never seen anything like that before, two angels show up. And this is what they said. Men of Galilee, why stand you looking up into the sky? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you see him go. He said, listen, Jesus is coming back. And the heart of this is not only is he just coming back, but he's coming back here. You see, that's what the Old Testament prophesied that Jesus didn't do in his first coming. That he, on that day, will stand on the Mount of Olives. Zechariah 14, in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives which is in front of Jerusalem on the east and the Mount of Olives will be split in the middle from east to west that hasn't happened yet that will happen at Jesus second coming Isaiah predicts it like this for behold the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with the flames of fire that hasn't happened it's going to when Jesus comes again. Paul put it like this in 
First Corinthians or First Thessalonians, he says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath that is to come. Jesus is coming back. That's what all of this is moving towards. That's what's taking place on the global stage. It's, it's the table is being set. The stage is being set for the return of Jesus. That's the next piece. Now, the question is, okay, so can Jesus come back today for his second coming? And biblically, the answer to that is no. Because there are events, we just read them, in Matthew chapter 24 that lead up to his return. And very specifically, and we get in the book of Revelation, we'll see this. It's also told to us in Daniel that the events that lead up to Jesus' return actually are seven years. Seven years, they're called tribulation. And actually, the last three and a half of those called great tribulation. God is going to begin to judge the earth. He is going to begin to pour out his wrath upon mankind for their rebellion. And it is at the end of those seven years that Jesus will return, stand on the Mount of Olives, and fulfill all of those prophecies. But this seven years of tribulation is going to be incredible, unlike anything the world has ever seen. Because God is now going to start sending plagues, sending destruction that is incredible. In fact, uh, probably for those of you who grew up around the church, uh, grew up in Sunday school, the best picture I could give you is, is when Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. So God said, all right, we're going to do the plague thing. And remember the first one was they turned the water in the Nile to blood. By the way, one of the plagues in these seven years is water being turned to blood. All the fish die, right? Uh, there's, there's flies, there's frogs, there's hail uh, that kills everything. There's plagues, there's disease, there's death. That's what happens. Three groups of seven judgments, so 19 judgments in total, are poured out on this earth and the destruction it's just like obviously we just went through as a, as a world a, a pandemic right and a number of people died and it's sad but it doesn't hold a candle to what's going to happen in fact you get into the book of revelation which we will and you look at those first series of seven judgments by the fourth judgment what we're told is that one fourth that means one out of every four of us who are sitting here today statistically, one-fourth of the po world's population is dead after just four of the 19 judgments. What's interesting is Jesus talks about here in verse 5, many will come and say, I'm the Christ. Don't listen to them. Verse 6, you'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. Verse 7, nation will rise against nation. There will be famines and earthquakes. Notice what he says in verse 8, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Now, obviously I have never given birth, but I've watched. And for those of you ladies who have, you know, it starts, it's significant, 
But as you get closer to the event, it gets more painful, more intense. The contractions get closer and closer together. That's what's going to happen. What's interesting, if you take Matthew 24 and what Jesus just said there, and you lay it down next to what you read in Revelation chapter 6 in this seven-sealed book and these judgments that come as he begins, it's identical. Then you get to the second set of judgments, which are the trumpet judgments. And after three of them, another third of the world's population is dead. So if you take a a quarter and you take a third, guess what you got? Half, one out of every two people who enter into this seven-year period are dead. In fact, look over real quickly to verse 22. Unless those days have been shortened, cut short, no life would have been saved. That's why it's only seven years. Because you go on eight or nine, there was no, would be nobody left. God is pouring out his wrath. His, now here's the thing. Just like in Egypt, what happened to Pharaoh when, when, when these plagues came? He hardened his heart. That's going to be the same thing that happens. It's not a matter of repentance. and a matter of, oh, God trying to get our attention. It's just a hardening of our heart, a shaking our fist. At God, that's what's going to take place. And it's during these seven years of tribulation that this man, you probably have heard of him, called the Antichrist, the beast, is going to show up. And there's a boatload that we, we read about him even way back in the book of Daniel, but certainly in the book of Revelation. And he is going to come to power. And he is going to be vile. He is going to attack the people of God. He... Uh, he truly will be a minister of Satan. That's why we call him the Antichrist. He is going to proclaim himself to be the Messiah. And yet, in everything he does, he will be attacking the one who truly is. In fact, so much so that there's going to come a point where he is going to make it so that unless you receive his mark on the back of your hand or your forehead, you won't be able to buy or sell anything. You will be an outcast, a fugitive, at best on a black market, if a black market is even allowed to exist in those days. And he comes to power and persecutes the people of God, for he is the Antichrist. And then it all comes together, and it coalesces in this incredible battle at the end of the seven years as Jesus returns, called the Battle of Armageddon. You've heard of that? We know where it's going to take place. For those of us that just went to Israel, we stood on the top of Megiddo and looked over it. The Valley of Megiddo, Armageddon, the Valley of Jezreel, it's there. All the nations of the world are going to come, probably to fight one another, but as Jesus returns, they will join forces to fight him. Now, to be honest with you, to call this a great battle is probably a misnomer. Because there's not much, I mean, they're going to have less chance than the Cardinals had against the 49ers last week. I mean, it's going to be brutal. In fact, the, the book of Revelation in chapter 19 
talks specifically about Jesus' return, and it puts it like this. I saw the heavens open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flaming fire. On his head are many diadems. He has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Who is this? It's Jesus. You go back to John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word become flesh. This is Jesus. And from his mouth, here it is, from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is the second coming of Christ. And the armies of the world will be decimated. The Bible even uses the expression, and sometimes people say, is it figurative or is it literal? And I don't know. I almost hope it's figurative. Because it talks on that day that the blood will run to the horse's bridle. This is, this is what is next. The big picture biblically it's been talked about for thousands of years is that jesus is going to come back now here's the thing nobody nobody knows when this is going to take place in fact if you look over what is it verse 36 yeah verse 36 but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. So listen, folk, if you start having people say, hey, I know when Jesus is going to come back, just write them off. They're, they're, they don't know what they're talking about. Jesus is very clear. No one knows that day or hour. We know when it will happen. It happens after the tribulation. We even know what begins the tribulation. Daniel told us it's a signing of a peace treaty. We'll get into that in our study of the book of Revelation. So I can't tell you if this is just around the corner or if this is 100 years down the, the, the path. I don't know. I just know it's next. It's the big thing. It's what everything's moving towards. But here's the point. When I was in high school, college, I used to do a lot of drama. Bet you that comes as a big surprise, right? The guy likes a stage. And in between the different scenes, the backstage people would come up, usually under the blackness of the house lights being down, and they would set the stage for the next scene. And I want you to know that as best as I understand Scripture and what is coming and what the Bible tells us specifically it will be like, the stage has been set. We're not waiting for anything. I mean, first of all, one of the big pieces in the book of Revelation is that Israel is going to be a nation again. That happened in 1948. That happened in, in response to the prophecy of Ezekiel. For 2,000 years, that wasn't the case. That is the case today. Not only that... All of human history has been, you know, since basically Babylon, where they wanted to have one world government. Let's not go. Let's all be together. And God confused their language. It's always been nation against nation. 
One of the things that we see in the end time because of the Antichrist, there is a, a global government that is going to control probably not all of the world, but a great piece of the world. We see that happening today, not only in America, but all across the world. This, this desire for a, this global government where we just all kind of get along. I can tell you, back when I grew up in the 70s, and by the way, yes, in the 70s, that was my junior high, high school years, I am much younger in person, like many of you, right? And we'd study prophecy, and one of the things that it talks about is that unless you get this mark of the beast, you're not going to be able to buy or sell. And I'm going, man, how, how could anybody control that, right? I could just go down to the, to the local grocery store, right? You got cash, you got, you got that couldn't see it today with electronic banking how many of us even carry cash anymore and in a globalization piece that it works everywhere it's going to be really really simple you can't buy you can't sell because you're i mean again i I'm, listen folks for those of you who've been around here, you know this. For those of you who knew, we're not trying to get political here. This is not about politics. This is about the Bible. But we've even seen here in our own country that certain banks have canceled groups who don't say the right thing. And it's just, you, you can't. It, 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 why? Because we have this, this banking system that is now all tied together. It's, it's no more, how could that happen? It's like, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. Then you got the mark of the beast. And, you know, I laughed, and I'm not laughing at people who, you know, said this, but it's just, it was just the fact that we have this misunderstanding. It, you know, so like when the, the COVID vaccines, this is the mark of the beast. No, 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 no. The mark of the beast is very specific allegiance and alignment to the Antichrist during the tribulation. It's very specific in the back of the hand, the top of the forehead. And we don't know exactly what it's going to be. I kind of think, right, when you get to the buy and sell and the kind of way we're seeing this play out, it's probably a microchip that allows you to buy or sell. It's just here. You don't have to carry it. You don't have to tap. You just, you just got it, right? But you are giving allegiance to this one world government and taking that the, the idea uh, and and folk i mean that all makes sense to us right back in the 70s we're all scratching our head how does that work uh, we know how it works today stage is set to me that raises the most important question of all and that is are you ready for jesus return It's what's next. Stage is set. I said we got at least seven years, but quite honestly, we could wake up tomorrow and the events of the world having shifted so much that a peace treaty is in the offing and a tribulation beginning. Folk, are, are you ready for the return of Jesus? You know, the whole reason he came, because when he came the first time, man, it was sweet, right? Little baby, little baby, precious, Bethlehem. He's healing the sick. He's caring for the multitudes. He goes and he dies on the cross. He 
comes back the second time. King of kings and Lord of lords. To destroy his enemies, to set up his kingdom. By the way, today we've talked about what leads up to the second coming. Next we're going to talk about once he comes, what does this look like? Where is this going? What's next after that? And his promise that he gave, and I, I just was thinking about, are you ready? And couldn't help but think of Jesus' words there in John 3, maybe the best-known verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. We don't have to fear these events. We don't have to fear what is coming when you know Jesus. Because Jesus came and died so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be his children, so that we would have the promise that he would always be with us, that he would take us home to be with him. Whosoever believes in him, have you come to that point where you put your faith, your trust in Jesus, invited him to be your savior? And when you have, man, you, you don't have to fear what's coming tomorrow. You don't have to fear the tribulation. You don't have to fear the Antichrist. You got Jesus. And he's got wonderful promise. In fact, if you remember that verse in, that we put up earlier, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, to wait for his son who will save us from the wrath to come. Man, if you, if you don't know Jesus, I would invite you in your heart to invite him. If you got questions after we're done, there are going to be people up here under that prayer banner. They would love to tell you how you can know Jesus as your Savior.